0: Welcome back to the Glue Guys. This is Mike here. Say hello, Brian. Hello. Check us out on Twitter at BKGlueGuys, NetsDaily.com. Brian. Michael. The Nets are in a tenuous position. It's hard
1: to say if they're back or not at this at quite this tenuous. <laughs>
0: uh, <laughs> welcome back, thank you all for listening. Uh, five stars on iTunes. We want not we need we have to have him. Brian.
1: Miguel, talk to me, man. What? Get me out of this funk I'm in. What's going on
0: here? I don't know where my head's at, brah. All right, where we are, we're recording this on a Monday. Obviously, the Nets are down 3-1 in the first round of the Eastern Conference playoffs. Um, I did want to ask you just off the top, I and mean, what we're going to do is we're going to go through the Sean Marks locker room, referee locker room incident. We're going to talk a little Jared Dudley. Mm. Um, last two minutes, report strikes again. Nets three point shooting, Karis the Vert, D'Angelo Russell performance. But where are you? Where's your head at? What's the last feeling two the minutes report?
1: Right Why don't you just call it the how we screwed the Nets report, you know, <laughs> the, with the regularity that this comes out not in our favor? Like, what's going on? You know? Dude,
0: i I thought we had discarded the last two minute report. What was it last season? Was the famous stretch of games where it was just that the nets, the nets were the what five thirty eight did the analysis of which team was screwed the most via the last two minute report, and it was obvious that it was the nets.
1: And they did the player analysis too. And Spencer Dinwiddie, our most our complainingest player, <laughs> which is which is a thing that we don't we dog him for, but like. He was right. You know, he was by far the most fouled and least called upon player of, of all the um, people they did that analysis of.
0: And, and I, you know, I was in, I covered the game as a media member for game three. Game three was when uh, Dinwiddie got the technical. And I asked Dinwiddie, specifically in the locker room after the game, I said, I said to him, right to him. I said, um, this series was beginning chippy. And this is before the fight. I said, this series is beginning chippy. You got a technical. What's going on? He says, well, the technical isn't about the other team. It's about respect. Mm. Respect, Brian. The Nets aren't respected by no. the referees. Um, honestly, though, we hadn't been talking about the last two-minute report all year. And now, so if you don't know, and I will recap it for you all, uh, Game 4, final possession for the Nets, The you know, an awkward, awful pick-and-roll from D'Angelo Russell to Jared Allen. Jared Allen gets the ball. The last two-minute report revealed – that Tobias Harris of the 76ers grabbed Jared Allen, wrapped his arms around him with a hug, in a bear hug move, to restrict his movement. That play, nets down by two, with 20 seconds left. Allen could not get to the basket, then was swarmed by two other defenders. Of course, turned over the ball, ending the game, essentially. Um, Brian, is that how you saw it when you saw it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I get it. The the refs had to get back to Philly to eat some cheese steaks, you know, and uh, Scrapple. they are probably Scrapple people, you know, wherever they're from. In the hills, these these refs, these Ed Malloys, wherever we're here from. From the
0: schoolie Kill. <laughs> yeah. They emerged from the Schooly Kill. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah I, yeah, I don't know. I don't even know how they have the Wavos the to publish those Last Two Minutes reports anymore. They should just, like, slide them under Sean Marks' door and run away, you know? It's
0: it's shameful, like a flaming bag of poop. Ring the doorbell <laughs> yeah, and run just away. Set it on fire. Run out. Um, by the so obviously, you know what's been what we talked about before the playoffs. Like, do the Nets need the playoffs and sort of the grand importance of it? You advocated for, in fact, maybe not making the playoffs because the karma had been so good that that gets them a shot at Zion. Um, the other side of it is that you kind of you want the playoffs because it it. Builds up experience and it does all these things where it gives you a platform yeah. for two weeks. Um, what it's also done for the Nets is it's created cult heroes immediately. And, you know, totally. in reality, the Nets may will likely be knocked out in the first round in all reality. But cult heroes have been built in Jared Dudley and Sean Marx's status amongst the Nets fandom is growing ever more rapidly. If you haven't seen it, um, Sean Marks was fined. $25,000 with the NBA because he entered the referee's locker room after game four. And this is the, the tale of this. The growing legend of Sean Marks is told in two tweets. The first tweet from Waj, uh, veteran NBA reporter, Waj. Wait, but before source, you get into
1: all these other yes. points, let me just jump on a, a couple of the ones that you, that you just broached there, if that's okay. Please. Um, yeah. So first and foremost, I, I want to like completely renege on, on the thought process that led into <laughs> not wanting wanting to miss the playoffs. The the playoffs are so much more interesting than I remembered. I I forgot like how um <clears throat> and not just for the cult hero stuff, but just pure X's and O's and the way that people begin to dissect the you know, YouTube now there's people all over the place, amateurs and and professionals alike, deconstructing the, the strategies of, of both teams and Super compelling ways um and when you get the you know opportunity to go against the same team over and over again, um just on a pure basketball level, really interesting conundrums and and uh, you know m- matchup problems and all the other things that go into what makes you know a series good uh become super self evident and, and fun to monitor um so like for that experience as well, like getting Kenny Atkinson acclimated to you know making those kinds of macro adjustments uh, and also like just watching people like Harris Levert uh, sort of rise to the occasion, you know, in, in the way that he has in the last couple of games. Um, and, and also letting Jared Dudley, of course, be the somehow <sighs> the emotional like nebulous of this team where where it really did not seem like they're like, if anyone was going to be it, it didn't seem like he was, but he's, he's killing it out there. He's, his trolling is next level expert trolling and it's made especially effective because they they do think that he's said he's like he's got nothing you know how they keep saying they're playing with house money jared dudley is is playing with house money like two times over right because there's zero <laughs> expectations from him personally and so any three that he does hit is a special fu to you know anyone guarding him and especially if that person was supposed to be ben simmons um
0: well okay so, Nets Nation is not going to love this take, but in the end, it shows Jared Dudley's value. But, so there's like a, a, a bubbling theory out there, almost in like Game of Thrones, that Bran is the Night King theory. This level of theory, theorizing, is that, you know, the 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 belief going into the series is that if Jared Dudley got into a game and knocked himself out of it, but also knocked out Jimmy Butler, then that's a win for the Nets, right? This was, uh, you know, but... What it actually ends up being is a negative for the Nets because Jared Dudley has become so important to what they do. I mean, it's crazy to think how important in, he, what he what they do defensively. It's not even comp- like in a completely
1: unironic way. He is vital to this team. <laughs> like in in this series, it's really strange to think about it this way. But like just watching how much he does defensively, it is it is pretty galling just how important he is to what we do.
0: Well, and all, all the amateur lip readers out there, as Jared Dudley's getting tossed from the game after that fight, uh, you can – Atkinson runs up to him, and it seems like Atkinson is saying, we need you as if, like, we – basically saying, you can't be doing that. You, we, we can't get you thrown out of the game because we do need you in the game. While, again, as crazy as it seems to have Jared Dudley be the guy that, again, in a one-for-one comparison, Jimmy Butler, Jared Dudley – Jim, Jared Dudley's more important for the Nets than Jimmy Butler is for the 76ers. And what Jared Dudley does is he plays the five at times for the Nets. He makes smart decisions constantly on the floor. He's making savvy moves on defense. And he is one of the few guys on offense that, you know, I feel better about being open from three because the three-point shooting is so horrific at this point. Um, the one thing that I will say is, I just You can check me if I'm completely wrong on this. Did Jared Dudley create, going back to Game of Thrones, did he create a Night King-like figure in Ben Simmons? Because <laughs> would would we be getting this villainous Ben Simmons performance? And I'm not just saying him being a villain. I'm also saying him being an effective player on the basketball court. Would we have been getting that if Jared Dudley wasn't trolling him you know, after Game One or whatever it was, when he said when he said that Ben Simmons is average in you know half court offense, would we be getting this ignited Ben Simmons <clears throat> performance if Jared Dudley had not sparked him a little bit at least competitively?
1: Um, I think we would have. Um, I don't. You know, I, hard to hard to say one way or the other, of course. But you know, coming into Game Two, uh, you could tell that the strategy was i i'm not i'm not gonna get booed again like right out of the gate the first two <laughs> plays where ben simmons doing his like giant wind up um like you know running to at the rim thing that he does um which is i gotta say though like i you know while it worked in game one i think that the thing that we should have probably adapted to sooner is just like you know why not just like pick up ben simmons at the half court and like not let yeah. him get a f- sprinting head start at the rim every time um that feels like a thing that we probably should have addressed
0: well so game three we it's crazy how much has already happened since the last time we potted but like obviously game three was this pretty glaring opportunity and beads out um you're at home for the first time in a playoff game since you know four years ago or whatever it was this is like this huge momentum moment that you can capitalize on um But when you're particularly in the arena, because you can get sort of where they had the media members, the overflow media members like myself was the worst seats possible in Barclays, which is corner upper deck, which which actually ends up being a nice view because you kind of get like this uh, side angle, little like above the action type type view. And the defense on Ben Simmons is basically like we're only going to pick him up with when he's five feet within the basket, which is not a good strategy. And it seemed also to be to let other guys sort of operate with space constantly. Um, now, that changed in Game 4. The Nets played better defense. Um, but, you know, that was the real opportunity. Obviously, it's heartbreaking that they lost in Game 4. And if you could have gone back to Philly 2-2, and it, it, then, it, then it's a completely different series. And then there's some more doubt in the 76ers' heads. Yes, they blew out the Nets in Game 2. Uh, game 3 wasn't a blowout, but it was a, a pretty sure win by the 76ers. If the Nets had won in Game 4, then obviously the series would have been completely different. But can we blame the refs, right? Like, do we blame the refs? Sean Marks maybe certainly does. Going back to these tweets real quick. Sean Marks, this is from Waj, our boy. This is Sean Marks entering the locker room. Nets and Nets GM Sean Marks, livid. Over belief, Embiid's flagrant one in games two and four should have been deemed a two. This is from Watch. More a message to the league with Ref Challenge. Mark's intended to message his team on how Franchise is determined to support their way competing in the series. Then, the incoming owner for the Nets, Joseph Tsai, tweets. Very, very sparse uh, Twitter account from Joseph Tsai. Again, only 4,000 followers. When we have as half as many followers as one of the richest men who now owns an NBA team, that is a problem. Joseph Sy says on Twitter, my partners and I have spoken, and the entire Nets ownership group support our GM, Sean Marks, for protesting the wrong calls and miscalls." period. NBA rules are rules, and we respect that. But our players and fans expect things to be fair. Brian, mm. the Nets are back. Well, they certainly the, are. The Nets are a little bit back here. That you know, is, just a little bit
1: rhetoric that suggests they may be back. Yeah,
0: because um, this franchise operates the best with a with a, a three pound chip on the shoulder. And if anything, even if they lose in Philly in game five, the chip on the shoulder will continue to grow. <clears throat> It'll metastasize and grow bigger and larger into the off season. I would argue. That it's not the worst thing in the world. You know, this is a learning experience overall, and we'll get it more to like who could be better and, you know, who's playing really well. But overall, this is a learning experience. The players are speaking openly, the young players, about how different the playoffs are, how they are learning through all of this. A little, um, you know, not a completely fair game, not a completely fair 50 50 matchup, because that, when you have, when you insert, this sort of ref, ref um, you know, like impropriety, it creates an imbalanced system, and the Nets are operating with a disadvantage when they're not getting these calls. And, like, you know what I love about the two minute report? I don't know if you saw this, but, like, it, of course, they're going to, they, they point out every missed call. So it's not like, I'm not, ex, I'm not saying that the NBA or the referees are intentionally putting this in there, but in the two minute report, when you when that story is written about, there's also written about. Yes, Jared Allen was bear hugged, but Spencer Dinwiddie carried the ball, you know, at 147. And if he hadn't carried the ball, then then the game also would have been different. So the two missed calls cancel each other out. Mm-hmm. It's like don't don't do that. Don't don't make me. Don't, I'm not an idiot. Okay, mm-hmm. one. Pretty much everyone carries the ball in every possession. It's like holding on the offensive line in football. It happens every play. Just who gets called. Jared Allen being bear hugged and that final possession in game four is more significant than Spencer Dinwiddie carrying the ball with a minute left in the game or whenever it was. Um,
1: also, if you call that <clears throat> after all the carrying, like I mean, you really want to go down that that like thought tree. Um, there's I mean, we're going to say that if I, I'm going to look at Ben Simmons uh, film there and not see a million carries. Is that I mean, we don't want to get into that. Obviously, contact. Is more self evident than any of those other infractions and needs to be valued differently.
0: Um question for you. Just how how do you think D'Angelo Russell is playing in these playoffs? Um that's a great question. Wow, Mike.
1: Um <laughs> incisive. Um I think like he's not he he's um gosh, I hadn't really thought of it about it because like, you know, he's playing well enough to not like beget any of like, you know, meaningful conversation about it and yet he should be sort of rising to the occasion in a way that, that Karis Levert is maybe kind of stealing his, his sunshine a little bit. Um, sure. uh, but I'm not like mad about it. Um, that's always sort of like what I've seen. Like, so D'Angelo Russell's like outside of like a, a handful of games where he like went off or whatever. I always kind of thought of him as a sort of like, you know, and people will point to the fact that he's like pretty streaky and gets hot or whatever, but like in a game, you know, over the course of a month or whatever, there's only a handful of games that will really point to me. Like, oh, that was, like, a game where D'Angelo Russell did something. He just kind of quietly does get his, like, you know, 20 to 25 points nowadays. Um, and it's mostly because he's just bombing threes. Like, when he's at his best, it's just as a, you know, um, artilleryman. Um, so, like, I'm not... I'm not. It's also especially a bad matchup for him because, like, you know, he uh, does well beating his man... But second help defenders and things like that, like, getting shots up over really tall people, all they can do is do um, floaters in the lane, and presumably that's not something you want to plan for in a, in a seven-game series. You don't want to, like, write down on paper, like, yeah, let's take, like, maybe the least effective shot in the game with, like, <laughs> you, know, you know, over and over again. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess it makes sense to me, but—and yet, I would like to see a little bit more. I don't know. That was a stammering explanation. I hadn't really thought about it.
0: No, and that's the thing. That's why I brought it up, because, you know— I look back at his stats within these four games so far. He's averaging twenty two points a game, which is right on his season average. He's down to four assists a game, which he was at seven about basically at seven assists a game during the season. So so the he's we're losing the Nets are losing production from him. But the probably the reason why he's down to four assists for the most part is that Joe Harris is ice cold from three. He hasn't hit a three since game one. Damari Carroll is shooting twenty five percent from three and he's attempted 23s. and Those are two guys that Delo's feeding on a consistent basis throughout the series. So like if they're shooting well, well one, the Nets are playing better and we feel better overall about how the Nets are playing if both Joe Harris and Damari Carroll are shooting up to their averages and D'Angelo Russell's assists are probably at six assists a game. I think watching it 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 feels you know, I'm not, it's not even being critical of him at all. It feels like he's a, a continuation of the regular season. And it isn't an elevation in the playoffs. And it's tough for him to elevate because he elevated so much in the regular <laughs> season that to then go up another level in the playoffs uh, would have been tough. And you brought it up. The Sixers are a tough team for him because the height, you know, where D'Angelo Russell sort of thrives is getting around his primary defender and then playing his old man, slow man game, you know, getting to the hoop, maybe even more like doing those inefficient shots, like you said. Against the 76ers with all that length, it's a little that all the little advantages that he creates because of his length are taken away a bit. He's not playing poorly at all. He's playing up to his averages. I, I think going into the series though, I was anticipating like honestly a 39 point 10 assist bomb of a game. Mm -hmm. Like I was expecting to go into the series where you could count on that TJ McConnell would be on him for like 15 minutes. And within those 15 minutes, Russell would score 15 points.
1: Let me ask you this. Yeah. Here's a hard hitter for you. Does it concern you at all that it seems to be the case that our best players sort of take turns in the limelight, you know, versus all basking in the glow simultaneously?
0: Yes. That Mm -hmm. is the reason why that. And obviously um, poor defense is why they lost game three (laughs) game. You know, Let's just say we're not going to talk about game two, right? Because it's so long ago and that was disgusting and horrific and I don't want to remember it. It was like watching episodes one, two, and three of Star Wars. Don't want to remember it. Moving on. Um, game three was because it like at times it just felt like, okay, Spencer Dinwiddie's going to try super duper hard and put up a shot. And then Lavert, you know, is going to try super duper hard and put up a shot. Or D'Angelo Russell is going to try super duper hard and put up a shot. I but the, like, can I be honest, the reason why they're playing that way is because no one can really hit the ball from you know no one can shoot threes. And
1: yeah. I mean the Joe Harris anomaly is really problematic. Like not having that guy they're like starting to not guard him anymore too, and if he's not making shots when they're not guarding him, it's a that's a proper problem.
0: And he and so, you know, again, the under and we've talked about this, but like the under reported, under discussed element of the Nets in the playoffs and the Nets end of season is that Alan Crab, Alan Crabb's injury. It almost got, like, no coverage. The fact that Alan Crab, you know, he had that knee issue for a while and then he gets surgery and then we just, like, okay, we canceled him out. or gone. He's out mm-hmm. of our memory. He, he's he been snapped out. Thanos snapped him out and he yeah. dissolved into dust. And we don't even think about him. But, you know, even if he was his normal self, which means he probably would have had a game where he shot, like, one from seven from three. <laughs> he also would have had a game where he was like four for six and four for six would have won him a game. And
1: I feel like, I feel like Alan Crabb is, is greasing the palms of dot or something to like, cause there's like his, <laughs> his averages are not as offensive as they, sh- they see like every night he goes out there and yeah, he goes like, to, you know, one for seven and somehow he's like, yeah, you know, hovering around 40%. <laughs> like, yeah.
0: That's yeah. impossible. How is this possible? Um, they have no one else on the bench. They have no one else on the bench because Alan Crabb was the Joe Harris approximation when they go to bench units. Um, you know, I, I and Alan Crab had molt, focused more on defense at certain times during the season, which would have been helpful. Um, it would have made their bench units way more effective. You also could have had units where it's like then Joe Harris and Alan Crab are out there with Karis Lavert, and you have a bunch of sort of twos and threes out there against the length of Philly and you have two three-point shooters that stretch things even more Um, but because Alan Crabb's not out there, Joe Harris has to do everything Joe Harris guarding J.J. Redick was um, a sad look for our guy, Joe Harris there was that, that stretch in game three where J.J. hit three threes in a row or whatever it was and Joe Harris was guarding him and now they're not even, they're not doing that anymore, now it's Spencer Dinwiddie on J.J. Redick so like, so this is a common excuse. Is Joe Harris? Is there an injury that we don't know about the reason why he's shooting so poorly? He has not hit a three since game one. That is, for a guy who what led the NBA in three point percentage, that is something is wrong, vastly wrong. And we, you know, and I again when I covered it for the media, I I asked the question to a couple of the Nets players of whether it's something the Seventy Sixers are doing or whether they're just not shooting well from three. And everyone just says a little bit of both, right? The Nets are getting open shots. I don't know what the second spectrum stats are. The Nets are open from three. Joe Harris less so, but they're open from three and they're not hitting them. Um, I mean, Joe
1: Harris is being covered like pretty tightly. Like he's, yeah.
0: he's having to work really hard to get open
1: and is not seeing a ton of daylight. So like you know, but the few shots where he is like wide open, like then like now they're beginning to like not respect a shot anymore. I think it may be a little bit uh, the the moment getting the best of him. Once you start you know slumping a little bit, you're getting you're getting taken out of the game. It's hard to reassert yourself. You know that's not a an uncommon thing, especially for a guy who's playing his first real meaningful minutes in a playoff series. Um yeah.
0: Um I think the craziest stats beyond Joe Harris not hitting any threes in games two, three, and four is that Karis Levert played forty two minutes in game four. Forty two minutes from Karis Levert. He is averaging twenty two points per game, which is funny because you know, we talk about D'Angelo Russell being underwhelming at not underwhelming, but just whelming, I guess, at twenty two points per game. Karis Levert's averaging 22 points a game, and it feels like he's like rising up from the ashes and becoming mm-hmm. the superstar player right in front of our eyes. He is bounces completely back, his handle's incredible. James Ennis must be dreaming, nightmaring of Karis Levert at the moment for how Karis is dominating him when Karis has the ball on offense. Um, that if this team's gonna have a comeback, it has to continue to be D'Angelo, Karis Levert and Dinwiddie scoring, like, 70 points together. And then you're going to need one other guy on the floor, whether it's, like, Jared Allen or Demari Carroll, someone else, like, score, whatever else it would be. You know, the remaining, that the rest of the role players account for the remaining 40 p- points. Um, that is, like, that is why we, you enter the playoffs, right? Like, one of the things is you see who develops that next step. And Carousel Vert is... It's obvious he's developed. He's even hitting threes, which is something that, you know, beginning of last season, if he was hitting threes with this regularity, would almost be impossible to believe. Mm. Um, yeah. Do we have I any mean, email use? Oh,
1: sorry. So go ahead. What did you say?
0: I was going to say, you have some, we have some email.
1: Yeah. And- yeah, we do. Um, yeah, some of them are, are about, like, so here's my thing. You know, a lot of these are about off-season moves and stuff, and I'll address some of that stuff, but... Um, I do want to say though, like, you know, going into tomorrow's game, because we're probably not gonna pod beforehand, should that be, you know, the end of the like I I I still want everybody to feel the same way about this playoff series and this and this offs uh, and this whatever postseason. Um <clears throat> like yeah, it's it's just been um we're not gonna skip any steps. This team can't skip any steps, and taking your lumps as a young team in the playoffs is part of that grander annealing process that renders great things at the end of it you know so like that we're getting shellacked a little bit here now is uh you know that's part of it that's part you know getting to the postseason is one thing learning how to really like navigate a seven game series is a completely different skill set as we're as we're finding out for these guys so like you know i just encourage everyone to you know feel in their heart this is a you know a years-long process you know this isn't the kind of team that's just going to set it on fire right away, but you know, I have faith. Anyways, with that in mind, everyone's looking for off season moves here in this, but one that I think is a great email. This is from your Matt Rodbard, um, uh, which is, he has a great boots on the ground experience here. He's taken um, like paparazzi style images and videos of, Um, Carl Anthony Towns says, hey, guys, so Cat was at the game last night. See photo of him with Mr. Rammy and video attached. (laughs) My short observation is that Cat was, in all caps, into it at Barclays. He gave D'Lo a nice pop Mm -hmm. at warm-ups and even took a playful shot from the baseline. He missed. Can we read into this? I've been preaching to my friends that Cat is the missing, missing piece for BK and that he needs a positive environment and better coaching to really hit the highest level. And can we trade, say, like, OMG, am I even saying this? Levert Allen Musa picks for him? Or wait, is that even enough? Signed, your friend, Matt Robert. Um, Matt, thank you for, for writing in. Also, check out his books, Koreatown, a cookbook, and Lasagna, a baked pasta cookbook on oh, Amazon booksellers. <laughs> little plug for Matt. Anyone anyone who's got any kind of thing in their um, sig line, I'm going to read it off. Don't you worry. That'll, that'll have, that's free plugs for anybody. Um, so yeah, pick up those cookbooks, love a cookbook. So Matt, send me one. If you, if you got a spare copy line around, uh, you Mike, give out your Mike, address. You, Mike, you've been, <laughs> yeah, Mike, you've been on the cat train a long time and not just the feline one, the, the one that I'm writing. Um, sorry, the, the one about Carl Anthony towns, that's the, that's a big one. You've been talking about this for a while.
0: Yeah, it's it's been something and I'm gonna take full credit when we go to that press conference that announces the trade in some way to acquire Carl Anthony Towns. Um, just to recap, him and D'Angel Russell are great friends, and as that email laid out that Carl Anthony Towns was at the game, I think was he wearing like a D'Angelo shirt or something, He was wearing pretty sure he was. Look at the um, it was like the maybe the D'Angelo slam magazine cover. That was the T shirt. Um I will not discuss Out of respect for the Nets roster, I will not discuss who may be in that trade if that trade has to happen. I just think, increasingly so, that Kevin Durant's going to go to the Knicks, Kawhi Leonard's going to either stay or go to the Clippers, like all those major free agents are all going to go to other destinations and the Nets are not going to be one of those destinations. And whether the trade has to happen this offseason, the Nets are the prime candidate to be the team that picks up a guy like Carl Anthony Towns. They're, beyond Anthony Davis, there are many other players in the NBA that are not being focused on as possible trade candidates. You know, Damian, Damian Lillard's always floated out there as a guy who could possibly be traded. CJ McCollum could possibly be traded because there's some belief that those two guys, you know, really can't play together ultimately for a championship basketball team. Neither of them makes sense for the Nets, but the people that do make sense, the, pers- the one guy that clearly makes sense for the Nets is Carl Anthony Towns. Now, that? that's going to take a significant package because if Carl Anthony Towns is out there in the market, a lot of teams are going to be interested and it becomes this whole sort of bidding war thing. I'm telling you, man, it's there. Okay, this is not usual. It's not usual for a star of another team to show up in a playoff game to watch his friend play basketball. That's an unusual thing. That's something that like LeBron did for Dwayne Wade at the end of the end of the season. LeBron, Chris Paul and Carmelo. But that was like a a special circumstance. It is not usual for someone like Carnathy Towns to just go to an opposing team's arena to watch his friend play basketball in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um there is something more <laughs> there than Instagram buddies. There is there's a little something deeper. Wow. A deeper, a deeper now, bromance. Now, I don't think that this going to happen, but I think we talked about this, and I need to look at it again. I don't think Minnesota has the cap space to offer to deal the max. Again, De'Arsoros would have to agree to playing in Minnesota. That's that's the one scary m- element of this theory: the the butterfly effect of their friendship could be that the Minnesota oh, going back t- to, to Minnesota. Both,
1: no way, no way. Doesn't Carl Anthony Towns the like hate Minnesota cap already? Space. What doesn't Carl Anthony Towns already hate Minnesota or something? Isn't there? A means yeah, he's about got that? to. He he's, has
0: to cold targets cold a great there. corporation but what else what else is there Two damn um, cold
1: anyways next up true boy sean pinto unless you wanted to have more to say about that no I'm done. you had more you had something i could tell
0: no i was all done
1: you've got all that carl anthony towns sized vein in your forehead you got something <laughs> <laughs> okay um true boy sean pinto friend of the show idea flip d plus on plus bix for anthony davis sign kd this is one of the few scenarios where I'm okay if we don't retain Delo. See, this is already off season, dude. This is going to be a great off season nah. for this podcast. Right. Let me tell you, I'm right cutting
0: now. this off. I'm cutting this off. We're no yeah. more right. No more yeah. off season. We still have Game Five, a juicy, delicious game. Real quick, and we'll we'll get out of here after this. Where's your head out for Game Five? What are you would you expecting to see when the Nets and Sixers step on the floor in terms of competitiveness? <laughs> is is
1: this Yeah. You you have been spending time in the press box here. I can tell. This Where do you see this thing going in terms of competitiveness? Just, um what do you anticipate? I anticipate a um well here's the thing, you know, maybe Philadelphia is the kind of team that is undisciplined and I expect this to go like I said in the beginning, when I rescinded this and then I'm unrescinding it, I said this is gonna go to six games. So, you know, I think this is a sloppy Game five that they, that you know, six years roll out Mike Scott thinking that they're going to just like, you know, that the Nets are going to roll over and die here. And, uh, I don't think they do. And this comes back to Brooklyn. And we, you know, and I prophetically am correct in that this is a six game series. Um, sticking yeah. to my guns on this.
0: Yeah. We, well, the, the thing that needs to happen for the Nets to get back to Brooklyn is that Joe Harris needs to hit a freaking three. You just need, like, he need
1: well, he needs to just it, for his own sense of like, you know self and dignity you know this is this has gone on too long here
0: the margin of error is so slim in the playoffs and reggie miller was talking about did you see reggie miller he was like
1: oh, i gotta feel really bad for joe harris he's on like national tv for the first time breaking away <laughs> God damn
0: it reggie it's it's like you know and so this was what happened in game three game three there's no one for kenny atkinson to go to really on the bench besides ronde hollis jefferson that could spark the team because unfortunately the nets don't have that guy on their bench I think, like, Shabazz Napier probably should have got a little bit more play in Game 3 because he at least can go in and score. Like, you have a sense that he's going to do that where you just look at the guys. Besides, I'm not counting Karis LeVert as a bench player. I know that he's off the bench, but he played 42 minutes in Game 4. He's a leader of this team. He's not a bench player, so I'm not considering that. And I'm not really even considering Dinwiddie. I mean, like, the other dudes. Like, the other guys, the random sort of Mike Scotts. They don't have a Mike Scott. Unfortunately, Um, the Nets need Joe Harris to hit some threes and they need a sort of a little bit of a surprising performance from like Travion Graham, you know, like they need Travion Graham to hit one three. Okay. (laughs) If Travion Graham hits one three and Joe Harris hits three threes, then they win the game. Okay. That, that, that would be a a W for the Nets. That's all they need. That's 12 points. That'd be the difference in the game. I think I think the Seventy ers are basically playing to their maximum. You know, Embiid is not fully healthy; that's obvious, but he's still producing a ton. Uh, Butler's thrown out of that one game, but Butler's like kind of off and on in the series. Tobias Harris is pretty is pretty nicely filled that fourth They, they need to be going to Tobias
1: like the entire time. Like I don't know, like he should be getting all their touches because his inside out game is just exactly the thing that. You know we struggle against. He's he's a little of everything, and uh, we we play a pretty extreme brand of basketball. And a and every a, a multi tool like that is, gives us a real problem.
0: Just give me some. Just give me a little Joe Harris. Give me that. Make give me that good six for seven from three, man. Give and me that good Joe Harris feeling.
1: Give me give me a, a a big serving of Joe Harris. Hold the Rondé Hollis Jefferson. I'm sorry. I know we wanted it. I know we wanted it, but. Having R- Ronde fill in for Jared Dudley's minutes there was a little bit obvious. The big difference, the big differences between those two players.
0: I'm going to defend uh, Ronde being on the floor just because at least he offers a little <clears throat> dynamic play when he's out. Just a little bit. I'm not say- I know th- he, there's massive limits, and then he's never going to be able to guard Embiid. He never should be really guarding Embiid, but he's trying out there. At least he offers athleticism where. That can, that can get you somewhere creative. It can get you maybe eight points and four rebounds and three assists, like a random little mini game like that. Yeah,
1: and then in that same time, they score like 17 <laughs> points on us. And
0: <laughs> I think, by the way, I think Ed Davis is supposed to play game two or game four or whatever, whatever five. game five. Jeez. Um, I believe they're saying, and, you know, that game was so close in game four that if Ed Davis was playing – he likely would have made the difference. Um, All right. That's it, Brian.
1: Hey, thanks for having me on the show, Mike. It was a pleasure as always. And sorry for all the emails about the off season. I didn't, uh, I didn't mean for that to, I thought you were like into that kind of thing.
0: No, I apologize. I should have called for that. Um, (laughs) Brian,
1: Mike, it's, it's been a pleasure.
0: Really, truly. My, my Passover wish I'm going to rub my passover lamp and the passover genie will pop out of it and what I will say to the genie if he gives me 3 wishes. Oh. I would say peace in the world. May there be no hunger and that the Nets win at least one more game in this series. To say would make the Nets be
1: back, you know, just keep it keep it open-ended like that. I I, I pray actually, that the that the Nets are back.
0: Don't you know when you make wishes to sort of um I think paranormal- keeping them open
1: open-ended is because like then you know if you get into one of those situations where it's like an evil genie you know you have some wiggle room
0: yeah but but you, if you leave it open-ended it's right, like then, i want to be back with i want to be back with my love actually whatever that's, my love would be that means that, they put that you mean that is in the grave. The,
1: that is the problem with the evil genie they they people are not specific at all in any of those wishes <laughs> they're like i yeah. want to be happy or yeah. whatever it would be no its no, never is like ask for that. It's right? never no. It's not happy. They're like, I, I want a sports car in inside yes. of like my body <laughs> or something, you know <laughs> or whatever it is. um Maybe that's too specific. Anyways, so get, um, let's get us out of here. We're 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 just we're what a crazy mood, Mike. It's the rain. It's the barometric pressure.
0: Barometric, dude. Barometric barometric pressure allergies. <laughs> I worked at two thirty a.m. this morning. Wow. I am. All kinds of messed up, um, but have a blessed rest of your Easter. Does it continue? Is there a continuation? It's like a seven Passover days of just... Easter
1: thing. Yeah, it's seven days. We light yeah. the eggs, the Easter eggs.
0: I, we had Passover at my, uh, my uh, mom, stepdad, and mother-in-law came up to celebrate Passover with my wife and I and our almost 11-month-old son. It was an absolute delight. We got catering from Safeway Market, not not sponsorship. It was delightful. It was a delicious uh, array of food that just came in several boxes and dropped off at our property. Horseradish was not in there, was a little disappointed, called him up, got quick, quick customer service. I appreciated that. Um, gefilte fish. The parsley and the salt water. Give me, matzah, give me a flavor liver. profile
1: that the like filter because I've asked a fair bit of my Jewish mm. friends and they all basically <laughs> claim that they don't eat it. You know,
0: well, it's in a it's in a loaf shape. We'll start there. The shape of it is a loaf. The mm-hmm. consistency. It's like a loose burger, like a mm. like not like, you know, how like burger meat does stick together. It's firmly. a fish
1: patty is what we're looking at here.
0: It's a fish patty, but it's not mm. cooked. It's not cooked on a pan. It's cooked in. I mean I don't think even know if it's cooked. It comes to you cold. I mean, it is cooked. It's not raw. But it comes to you cold. Um it's sweet. It's a sweet fish. Oh, Jesus. This does um, not sound good. When you get it, when you get it homemade or you get it from a, a higher level place, I love gefilte fish in all forms. But when you get it in a homemade setting, it 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 is very nice. When you get it from the most the people the way most people experience gefilte fish, which is in a jar, uh Shavit's brand gefilte fish in a jar. It comes in a. The best way to describe it would be bird vomit sort of mm-hmm. um, mixture, a gelatin mixture that the that okay. the gefilte fish little nuggets are floating in. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a little off putting. So
1: I'm imagining basically like a fish cake, you know,
0: like the like comes a in a ramen. Yeah, it's a white it's a white fish. is what it's based on. I think it's like multiple kinds of fish. you said all... the
1: sweetness, those like those fish balls and fish cake, fish cakes, they get a little on the sweet
0: spectrum there. Are you okay with sweet meat? You a sweet meat guy? I mean, um, you like Thai food? Sweet meat. They got a sweet meat flavor profile. More spicy, <laughs> of course.
1: I mean, I need more than just like candied candied meats, but. Um, like if there's if there's more going on than just sweetness, then yeah, yeah, I can be down. Like um, a, like barbecue sauce, or whatever is like pretty sugary, you know.
0: Speaking of food, and I'll reveal. So again, I I covered uh, the Nets game per the media for my normal job at WCBS 8080. The thing that allows me to have a computer to then do this podcast and all that stuff. Um, a couple of insights from being under inside the beast, the media beast of uh the nets well one they have a ten dollar media buffet before the game it the money goes to charity i'm told do you want to know what they were serving at this ten dollar media buffet
1: no yes i do okay um
0: salad bar classic that kind of like chicken rolled up you know it's like with a bunch of grease you know it's like it's like chicken breast it's kind of rolled up maybe they have like some Herbs and stuff in the middle rolled, of it rolled up, yeah, like they, you take a chicken breast, pound out the chicken breast, you put some like herbs and stuff with it, and you roll it, then you cook it in the oven, all of them you cook in the oven, you may see it at like a
1: are we putting this on a skewer how how are we delivering this?
0: It's just a rolled up piece of chicken, it's not bad, i'm not none of this is bad I've seen this good. before
1: i don't I don't feel like I've ever seen this before,
0: yeah, it's like a pancetta, it,
1: like it? a pork pancetta thing, but with chicken.
0: I get, yeah, sort of like that. Sort of like that, but each of them are individually rolled, and then in the inside is like in 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 it. It's like a flavor bomb of like garlic and all this crap. Okay, that, that was sounds, there. Sounds we good. Had, we would asparagus. We had coffee rub steak. Whoa. Okay. Now I, know. now I went for the coffee rub steak. I went salad. I do a base of salad, lettuce, and some stuff, and then I put the coffee rub steak on top. The problem, this was a bad idea. Coffee grounds all up in your teeth, Bri, all up in your teeth. Literal. Bad luck for grounds. your man. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Bad look for your man. I, but I knew it. I knew it. So bad I knew like,
1: good look good. for a woman, bad look for a man.
0: No, for your man, your uh, man. For, this is, oh, oh mean, your boy. Um, your true boy. True boy. Yeah. True boy. Um, so I immediately had to go to the, the bathroom and figure out that situation. They had huge Nets cupcakes, Nets, you know, em, emboldened or blazoned with a, the Nets sigil. And cookies. Very nice setup. Um, And then I got to go in the visitors' locker room. I went also in the Nets' locker room, but I went in the visitors' locker room. Interesting setup there. And I would like to get your take on it real quick before we go. Inside the locker room. So the visitors' locker room is smaller than the Nets' locker room. Of course, being a competitive advantage, you don't want to give the opposing team a, a palatial estate of which to prepare for the game. I understand it all. There are eight different two-foot-by-two-foot photos hanging up on above the lockers, okay? And each one, four of them are are of musicians, though three of those photos, it's Nicki Minaj, Drake, Beyonce, and Bieber. I wrote this down. Three of them of them in concert, though I can't really tell you if they're at Barclays. And actually, I think one of them for sure isn't at Barclays, but you have to assume they are. And then one of them is Nicki Minaj just standing in front of a title backdrop, title the Jay-Z streaming service. Also, and so that's four of the photos. The other four are a photo of Lucali, the pizza place, Lilia, the Italian restaurant in Williamsburg, the, an overhead shot of Olmsted, another restaurant, the, the backyard patio section, just an overhead shot of Olmstead, and then a photo of a rooftop pole of a condo development in downtown Brooklyn. So, what is the message the Nets are trying to send here, Brian? Why are they just putting up? Because this is a, this is a decision. This was a planned sort of montage of what Barclays represents in well, some way. Clearly,
1: it's this is the timeshare, right? They've got you in the timeshare sales <laughs> sales room, <laughs> and you're about to get uh, you're about to get the pitch. Does you the know?
0: condo company come in and right. hand out pamphlets like before the game to the can- Yeah, exactly. Just. You know, if if you want to talk about this, yeah. See, that's that's the condo. We have a rooftop pool. We have all this stuff. You know, what? JJ Reddick probably bought in. That's where he's living in Brooklyn.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I like that they have Bieber too. Like the idea that the NBA players are like, I do I do love the Bieber. <laughs> I do love me some Biebs. I I would want to be anywhere near for that. Yes,
0: because um, yeah. that that is a possibility. You could be sitting on the ground for a Bieber concert which is exactly what you want to do right. um, great experience though uh, I was not thrown out of the building and I appreciate that and I'm excited hopefully God willing Genie willing the Passover Genie if the Genie grants us a game six I will be there great there you go
1: alright let's GTFO take us
0: out uh, thank you all so much for listening five stars on iTunes we want them we need and we have to have him. Uh, at BKGGoGo on Twitter Thank you all for listening. Brian, the Nets are back.
1: Okay. Bye, everybody. Thank
0: you. Bye. Yeah, boy.